Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Matt Davis Adams and this is Parts Unknown, the podcast that wears a fanny pack and a pink jumpsuit to a wedding because, well, why wouldn't you? It's the 22nd mania we put under the microscope and it features one of the most iconic matches and finishes in wrestling history. The double turn in the submission bout between Bret Hart and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Here to break it all down is the meanest and streetest posse this side of Connecticut, Dr. Death Carrie Dunn. Hello. The matron of domination, Anton Tolui. Hello there. And Carl Beaver Cleavage Anchor. What a rush. <laughs> I can see why you struggle to get through that intro. <laughs> so here we are back in 1997 at the Rosemont Horizon in Chicago. Cargo, and uniquely for Romania, it's not a sellout. In exciting news, it's another sub three hour show, which is good because most of the card is pretty poor. In less exciting news, it's JR, Lawler, and Vince on comms. There are a lot of maneuvers tonight, but it's his last mania calling the action. We have to start with Brett against Austin then. Special guest ref in this, Ken Shamrock, who looks amazing in his Lycra ref outfit and Reebok pumps. I know I can pull that off. I think I think we all could actually, to be fair. Um, Carl, you're the uh, the wrestling historian among us. Right. Okay. Uh, this is all Shawn Michaels' fault. Um, so Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart tear the house down in the Iron Man match at WrestleMania 12. Shawn Michaels wins. Tore your house down, maybe. We'll speak about that next week. The plan was uh, Bret Hart... They'll have a rematch at WrestleMania 13. Uh, Shawn Michaels, in between this time, loses his smile and has a knee injury, uh, disappears from the product. Um, Bret Hart is injured uh, some way in between, returns to WWE, and it, basically WWE's changing, both in storyline and out of storyline. The WCW is maintaining a great lead in the Monday Night Wars. Um, Vince McMahon is very, very scared that WWE will put out business. During this point in time, they're going, we need, we need to change the product, refresh it. Um, oh look there's this very interesting gentleman over here called Stone Cold Steve Austin who's got this anti-authoritarian thing drinking lots of beer middle fingers Bret Hart doesn't like that Bret Hart is believes wrestling should be an art form and should be about moves and and uh, should be a violent dance but no one should be particularly hurt whereas there are different elements in here uh, Bret voices these views is more or less turned down by Vince, both Vince McMahon and the crowd as a whole and then it basically builds to this feud where you've got Bret Hart both in real life and in wrestling thinking wrestling's gone too far and there needs to be we need to bring back the dignity to wrestling and and there has to be uh, more respect and we need to review this as an art form and then you've got Stone Cold very much in wrestling storyline going nuts to all that it's all about being the best and being the individual and being there for yourself. So you get this amazing match where Bret Hart and Stone Cold aren't so much fighting. They're not fighting for a title, which is said a lot in commentary. They're fighting for something else, which pretty much seems to be supremacy over each other in forms of what is the greatest idea of what wrestling should be. Or the future of the industry. Yeah. But I, mean, I didn't want to answer your question flippantly because it could have been the slow dismantling of Bret Hart. Which I think could have been the answer to the, which is the question. They really talk about the match, and you can probably get to why that's why that could be pertinent. But during 
Carl's exceptionally eloquent answer, I could just see Carrie's heart eyes emoji sort of throughout the whole thing. I know she should talk more about this because you are the heart expert. And 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 Austin had made no secret of the fact that he wanted Brett's ass and it was good for us all that he did get it and they started with that typical Austin like wild brawl element to the match and then you you mesh into that the in-ring technician ship mm. of Brett and it was like a perfect marriage. Yeah, um Carl's kind of talking about uh, the heart kind of platonic ideal of wrestling, uh, the violent dance, which I liked. But the other thing about uh, Brett is he talked quite a lot about wanting to use blood sparingly, if ever. And that's another thing, kind of the, the level of spectacle, I think, is is another kind of contrast that needs to be kind of drawn here. And as Carl was talking, I was kind of thinking the spectacle element of WWF and WWE is starting to increase at the same time. Something else that Bret Hart objected to hugely. And obviously, the nadir of that spectacle was something that had a very tragic end on a pay-per-view that affected the Hart family particularly. So I guess this is kind of where that kind of, as Anton said, the slow dismantling of Bret Hart as kind of one of the main linchpins does begin, uh, despite the fact that this match is glorious and a triumph and I love it, it's also kind of a foreshadowing of what comes next in the next uh, two or three years. You mentioned the blood and the blade there. Interesting that it's it's Brett who was sort of insistent on that. There was a no blood rule in the company at this time, but they had a chat the two of them before and Brett said, look, A, I can do this for you. Don't do it yourself. I can do it safely. But B, I'll take the heat that we will get for this. Uh, And Vince, on commentary, this is unfortunate. It doesn't happen often in the World Wrestling Federation. He was trying to cover up for it. But it gave us, arguably, the most iconic in-ring image in the history of the WWF with Stone Cold covered in blood at the end. Which is another really fascinating thing because Brett was also so absolutely adamant he did not want other people to cut him. He would always advise other people not to let the person they were in the ring with to do the blading for them. He always said, if you're going to blade, you must do it yourself because you can't trust another guy to do it for you. Also, the blood needed to be there, which which I wouldn't... It's a weird thing to say to make the finish more believable because Austin passes out because he's lost blood and he just can't take, you know, the pain is just, everything is just, it's just body just shuts down, which is more believable when you see this guy and this, this just this crimson mess in the middle of the ring. So, you know, as much as I don't like this, you know, as much as, actually, I, don't, no, I can't say I don't like to because there is that part of me which doesn't mind it. I don't mind seeing responsible bleeding if that's a thing. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think it did need it for the narrative of the match and to add that extra element to make it a classic. And Carl, talk us through how they actually did the double turn at the end. So we've spoken about the image of Austin passing out bloody. Shamrock calls the match off, doesn't he? He says Austin can't carry yeah. on, so Austin never quits. And then... Um, the interesting thing is, it's not just at the end. So the match, is, the match starts at a neck pace. They do that weird Austin brawling, I just need to get on top of you energy where they're just beating each other up. And the story is... Um, you uh, the story at the start is you get classic Brett Hart, which is I'm chopping down your legs to set up the sharpshooter, which he often does with bigger opponents. So he targets a lot of the knees, targets a lot of the uh, hamstrings, does all of that. It's not really working because Stone Cold every now and again will just, in Bret Hart's eyes, cheat or do something more akin to fighting rather than wrestling. So there's a bit 
particularly when Bret Hart's doing a lot on uh, Stone Cold's legs on the outside of the ring, and Stone Cold just grabs his tights, pulls them towards him, and throws them towards some steel steps. Um, I think it's really interesting you hear JR shouting, not like this, at yes. various junctions in that match as well, to get behind what Hart is trying to achieve. Yes. So, it was a submission match as well, yes. we should point that out, and, and that was something that Austin was slightly concerned by, wasn't it? Because he didn't have a submission move he himself. But he, he threw in a Boston Crab and a very interesting Rings of Saturn-like move. Um, so the story is, Bret Hart is trying to wrestle a fighter, and he cannot... Bret Hart can't do it his way, and is slowly succumbing to the dark side, and he's brawling more, and he's using more weaponry. Um, so there's a particular bit where Stone Cold tries choking him out using an electrical cord, and Bret Hart hits him over the head with the ring belt, and then he attempts the sharpshooter. That's where Stone Cold doesn't pass out. He wins the match, and then he returns and goes back to the ring and begins to beat up Stone Cold some more. In between all this, the crowd is booing him, giving him middle fingers. Bret Hart, for the very first time, is giving middle fingers back to the crowd. and is basically going, screw you. You don't care about me. I don't care about you. Attack Stone Cold some more. Ken Shamrock gets involved. Um, Ken Shamrock does a very weird he does this quite often which is like a it's not quite a suplex it's like a belly to belly thing um, and then it looks as if Bret Hart is going to be up Ken Shamrock which is a huge thing because it's Bret Hart attacking an authority figure which is very much what Bret Hart does not do um, you also have to bear in mind Bret Hart's family's in, in the arena so Stu Hart his dad um, I forget Helen Helen Hart is there as well and Bret Hart's daughter is there as well um, and so this is again the slow disillusion and dissolving of Bret Hart and what he stands for in this ring and then you just get this this man is fundamentally changed by this match and it is as good as every single WWE best of matches will tell you because the storyline is lightning in a bottle and Stone Cold was, was brilliant in the build with it. I loved his line of, you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you've had my exact opinion of Bret Hart. And it was that kind of thing that Bret really struggled with, wasn't it? Because he would go on to say things like, uh, the whole of America's a toilet bowl. If you're going to stick the enema anywhere, it would be right here in Washington, D.C. And it just, it was almost like they were setting him up to fail at this point, wasn't it? Which kind of covered in, in wrestling with shadows. Which is, yeah, um, we've said before that, Brett is not the strongest promo man in the world. He's not necessarily a great actor. But when it comes to telling a story as a wrestler, he doesn't need to be able to speak because he can do all that without actually talking. He can tell the story with his wrestling. And I think this match is kind of an encapsulation of why I'm such a Bret Hart fangirl. And, and such a shame that this was his could have been his last Wrestlemania but then he came back and had that one with Vince that we talked about it never happened never <laughs> happened but for, for me I mean I'm I'm not a massive Bret Hart fan because of in, in the ring I'm not, obviously I'm not going to criticise but in terms of like the promo skills but also just the natural whininess and it's almost as though WWF held a mirror to Hart and said right the crowd are turning they want something else so we're going to show we're going to we're going to let them see what you give us every day while well, you're complaining to us about the direction of the product, the direction of our matches, direction of your character. Go on then, whine. Whine and complain and turn on the fans and turn on wrestling as a whole and you will get booed out of the arena and, and go and deal with that. And obviously he wasn't self-aware enough to pick up on that. And they they basically just held a big mirror up to Bret Hart and said, right, there you go, we're going to sell you out. We spoke about this before in that match that did not happen, about how Bret Hart very much doesn't understand he is responsible for telling his own story. And if you leave it up to other people, they will paint you as X, Y, Z. And the interesting thing about this match and the interesting thing about why double turns are so hard to do 
is because this isn't Bret Hart pretending to be anything. Bret Hart absolutely believes the product's going in the wrong way. Bret Hart absolutely does not like what Stone Cold Steve Austin stands for. Bret Hart very much believes the crowd and wrestling as a whole is rejecting him at the time. So a bit later on, you get the Montreal Screwjob. And it, you know, he was doing this weird thing where, in Bret Hart's eyes, I was a heel in America, but a face everywhere else. I'm like, no, you're not. You're a heel everywhere. You can't... That's not a dichotomy that works. If you're a heel in one territory, you're a heel everywhere. Bret Hart fundamentally didn't understand that wrestling was changing and society was changing as a whole um and the very interesting thing i see now you know i broke down in my notes bret hart is such a baby he's such a whiner he, he needs to get on with it and accept the world for as it is the thing is bret hart was right and the more i watch modern day wrestling and the more i like look around like yeah there there is once you strip away dignity and you strip away the understanding that wrestling is meant to be a violent dance and no one's meant to be hurt and there's greater things than just crass vulgarity. Once you understand, once you remember that and if you take that all that out, you get what, you get so many of the problems you have with modern WWE. You get the problems with their Hall of Fame. You get the problems they have with where they're booking their pay-per-view events. You get the problems where you just, with what they had with uh, women wrestlers and uh minority wrestlers and how they've just told awful homophobic stories like wrestling evolved and it needed to evolve and it needed the attitude era and it needed to change but also wrestling shouldn't have got rid of bret hart and it shouldn't have got rid of bret hart's voice going that's too far because to adapt as well it's mm. not just one-way street to say that to say that bret was you know bret was right in the end was he? Are we not taking a kind of putting Brett on a pedestal here and what he really stood for? Come on, this is he was also quite a selfish guy. Always tried to look out for as much as much money as he could get on all this. You know, this isn't this isn't some guy who just wanted to protect the sanctity of wrestling and he wanted to protect himself as well. He wanted to protect his legacy, his family. This isn't just a sort of crusade for like for wrestling as a whole. To be fair, and again. I- not saying that Bret is perfect, but I think he also kind of sees himself and the true legacy of proper wrestling as the same thing. <laughs> is that is that defence <laughs> or is that or is that adding to my? I'm not sure which way around I think it it's is. Both. The answer is probably somewhere in the middle. At, at, at the point in time, WWE was being held. I don't want to say hostage, but WWE, the creative direction of WWE was in the hands of a whiny, piss baby, coked up man called Shawn Michaels. And a man in Vince McMahon who didn't understand anything that young people were interested in. And it moved left and right and it veered off course and on course and didn't know what it was doing. Whoa, whoa, did you not see the PlayStation blimp during this? He knew, he knew what young people um, wanted. And, and, you, and the Attitude Era was, was needed and necessary and is viewed fondly by many people. But I think we did lose a lot by basically going, by dismissing Bret Hart as a whiny baby rather than going, this guy has quite a few good points. Yeah, he just kind of hamstrung himself in that, you know, if Carrie's the second biggest Bret Hart fan in the world, the first is Bret Hart. That was the problem, wasn't it, for him? I mean, his autobiography, really interesting historical document, but man, it's long and there is a lot of chapters that finish with, needless to say, I had the last laugh. (laughs) But it'd be nice if he could get back involved in some way in wrestling now, whether because of what's happened, he just doesn't want to anymore. If Alan Partridge was the greatest chat show host in the world... That would be akin to Bret Hart, wouldn't it? Effectively, Bret Hart's one of the finest ring technicians in the ever, but he's Alan Partridge. He was in The Simpsons though, so that's pretty cool, isn't it? And he was a heel in The Simpsons, actually taking Mr. Burns' house. Um, watch Wrestling with Shadows. Uh, they describe him as wrestling's Hamlet. 
basically doesn't a uh, character in the tragedy cannot affect the storyline brutally tragic life and brutally tragic like history but as Anton says, not whiter than white, you know, he had numerous affairs, which he made reference to. He's put out the odd homophobic tweet, which he's had to apologise for. And in Wrestling With Shadows, he, you know, he compares things like the Montreal screw job to rape, which is just not really no. cool. But a great match. Make sure you watch it if you haven't watched it. It's one of the few matches around this time that, like stands up to a modern day match essentially which is really really difficult to do and interesting that polar opposite characters but on screen but obviously two men who had a lot of respect for each other and and that helped make it work but then it worked with Shawn Michaels when they hated each other so maybe <laughs> Brett is an, an absolute genius and that's the the common factor we talked about that for an awful long time it was the fifth match on this show it was the longest match it went just over 22 minutes the main event Crikey Moses, I don't think we're going to be talking about it with as much reverence. The Undertaker beating Psycho Sid to win his second WWF Championship in a match famous for... (laughs) Producer Ben's written this. Sid shitting his pants before he was placed in a tombstone. Um, A really poor tombstone that it was, too. Uh, Sean was on commentary for this. It was a no-DQ match. Um, Sean... As Carl has mentioned, had his knee injury where he'd, he'd lost his smile, so he wasn't wrestling this year. Um, Sid did an awful pre-match interview with uh, Todd Pettengill. Let's talk about Sid. Um, quiet, quiet shout promos. Uh, I'm, I've got half the brain that you have, that brilliant one. Uh, stabbing Arn Anderson in a Blackburn hotel, breaking his leg horrifically. Uh, quite the character, Carrie. Yeah, um, I literally, and you really remember the leg break, which horrifies me and haunts my dreams. And I don't think... Not on the WWE Network, one of the very... Is it not? Because good, good. Thank God. It's not on the WWE Network. It's a horrific... uh, He's in WCW. um, I think Russo's there at the time. I think it's 2000. And basically, Russo says, I need you to start doing high-flying maneuvers. He goes, I can't do them. He goes, I'll just try it does it and breaks his leg horrifically on pay-per-view sorry i think the joke no i'm just gonna throw out quietly into my cup of tea um yeah this match it happened it it definitely happened but we can't throw all the blame undertakers way no god no i know that i have been extremely derogatory towards taker across this series but no this was this was not uh, one that I'm going to pick on him for. This is just just a, a, not a good match. We've talked before about the fact that we, we like our title matches to also be our main events and that should theoretically marry up. But obviously, Hart Austin is your main event here. That's your biggest match. That's your best match. And nobody cares about the two matches that come after and I definitely don't care about this match. Well, Sid only got the belt a month before. As well, so there's no real, but he wasn't really in the title picture, sort of much going in, and then all of a sudden gets the. Uh, so even as there's there's no real reason for these two to really be going at it. The best thing about this match is when Sid comes into the ring and there's a huge Sid in pyro above me, like, oh, that's cool. If I walk it when I die, I want my coffin to come out to Axel <laughs> above the above above the ring. Why am I why am I being married? Where am I being married? Okay, <laughs> <Kayfabe>, brother. <laughs> 
So uh, Brett gets involved in this as well, doesn't he? Uh, Sean has a dig at him, Sean on commentary. Brett calls him a phony little faker with a pussyfoot injury. Uh, Brett comes down toward the end of the match. He, he uh, hits Sid with a chair. Uh, Sean says, doesn't he ever get tired of getting beaten up? The fact that they, they were basically burying Brett after he'd had this great match, but Sean was on commentary despite the fact that he had this knee injury, which his own doctor had uh, diagnosed, but nobody else did. Does that show that Vince favoured Sean over Brett at this time? Oh, oh, God, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, like we said, this is sort of you know, Brett isn't aware of obviously what's happening here. That the sort of twatty Brett, sort of whiny Brett, is you know, everybody wants to see him fail because Vince wants to see him fail effectively. Um, but no one ever talks about Undertaker's streak needing Bret Hart. Bret, um, Undertaker only wins this match. Because Brett gets involved. Undertaker's streak has one DQ victory uh, due to chloroform, has Bret Hart's help, has... It's not a great streak. We talk about, oh, it's fantastic, oh, it's legacy. But this is a real myth-busting podcast here, and I'd say there are, there are greater WrestleMania contributors to the canon than Undertaker right now. <laughs> this match is great because right at the start, uh, JR goes, this will not be a technical masterpiece. And I was like, no <laughs> shit. Why? Why are you giving this 20 minutes? Sid Vicious, I keep calling him Sid Vicious because that's, that's what I watched him as in WCW. Um, terrible promo, not great in the ring, not a particularly smart man. Utterly delusional as well. He was yep. talking just a couple of years ago about how TNA were interested in him, but he felt that he could be main eventing WrestleManias. Yep. <laughs> but I, I cannot look at him without burst out laughing. And also in, in like the nice, like, huh, yeah, you're entertaining. And he absolutely has a look. Like, has the look of, like, if you went to Vince McMahon that age, describe a main eventer, he would look like Sid Vicious. So it's no wonder he had the belt for two months. But the Undertaker's look was weird in this one, wasn't he? He's always wearing black, but then was wearing grey so- um, <laughs> knee-length socks and grey gardening yep. gloves, effectively. Which I don't think is funeral attire. If I, <laughs> if I was burying my, my nan... I, I wouldn't expect someone at the, at the Undertaker's home to look like that. You'd expect them to look like Paul Bearer, wouldn't you? Anyone, anyone of my friends that die, I'm getting you someone that looks like Paul Bearer at your funeral. <laughs> stop me. Try to stop me. You're already dead. Well, we've only talked about two matches, but goodness me, we've really gone deep into both of them. Let's have a break. Parts and name will continue next. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, next we're going to talk about a couple of blue chippers who might go on to have a future in the business. Rocky Mayavia, a.k.a. The Rock, at this stage he's the pebble, up against The Sultan, his cousin Rikishi for the IC title. Uh, Rocky's mania debut, they give him the big build-up on commentary. He's got white boots on. Uh, Honky Tonk Man is on commentary, so it must be important. Not a bad match. It's got some of the classic rock stuff, the kip-up, the classic rock punches. Um we need yeah. to start. We need to start with the revelation that happened just before we started recording. Carl, oh. you didn't know that the Sultan was Rikishi. I is that did right? No, I had no idea. Cleverly disguised here, in fairness. <laughs> I, you know, I mostly know Rikishi from his backside, so it didn't quite have the heft and gravitas that it, it later would have in later years. Uh, honky Tonk is. Oh God, shut that boring old fart up. How is Honky Tonk a thing twenty years after Elvis is dead? I d- how how has no one just gone? This is a gimmick that should have died a long time ago. This should have died on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a favour, doesn't it? Let's let the old fella come out and uh, and just talk some, well, some rubbish for a bit. Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik were there as well. It's Iron nice. Sheik, quite good as a uh, outside the ring manager because he really, if you watch him, he's really instructing the Sultan to do stuff. I'm not sure if because he's a great manager or if because he genuinely thinks he can control the Sultan. He's helping. He's got a very uh, potty mouth Twitter account. <laughs> so The Rock wins this match. The Rock wins this match uh, with a roll-up. So he's the IC champ. Then he starts doing a post-match interview with JR, but he's immediately attacked by the Sultan, the Sheik, and Backlund, who beat him down until Rocky Johnson, his dad, comes in and makes the save. Lovely mania moment, but then they both get beaten up as well. Um, interesting. Rocky Johnson, uh, High Chief Peter Mayavir, and now The Rock's daughter, we are told, has just started training at the Performance Centre. So there could be uh, a fourth generation of Rock coming to uh, a ring near you soon, which would be quite something. Fantastic. That would be the first four times. So at this, during this match, The Rock is being referred to as the first third generation superstar, which is great. Amazing. She's just- only 17, though. So yeah, she's not going to be in the May Young Classic anytime soon or anything like that. But you know, she will probably be fast tracked beyond her abilities. As was Rocky Maivia at this stage, lest we forget he's you know the the IC champ. He was very very hated despite being a face. Uh, so that's young Rocky. What about young Triple H, Hunter Hearst, Helmsley, and China backstage with handsome Doc Hendricks uh, before the match with Goldust and Marlena and Trip's voice ludicrously high like they're in a room filled with uh, with helium uh, vince laughs at a sign in the crowd as they make their way down to the ring uh, that says hunter who wears the trousers in your house lola when china was born she was so ugly she was breastfed by her father i think they filmed gorillas in the mist in china's shower um if you wonder why we give jerry lawler so much stick on this podcast i think there's a couple of nice examples as to exactly why um Vince, somebody who famously hates smoking, was big on Marlena smoking a cigar during the match, which um, 15-year-old me thought was incredibly hot. Uh, they were really? a legit married couple, of course, those two. Yeah. Uh, Gold dust, not Vince and Marlena. Vince and Marlena, with <laughs> yeah. Marlena and the cigar. Uh, I was really impressed by Young Gold Dust. I, I, yeah. read, I love Young Gold Dust and think that there is an alternate universe where we talk of Gold Dust and the character of Gold Dust in the same way we talk about The Undertaker. Because 
he had it in ring stuff great promos like the entrance with the shattered dream productions it was all there just undertaker was six foot ten great chemistry these two in the ring mm. yeah i thought when Goldust was on top early it was a lot of fun and then it gets a bit slower and it gets you know starts wading through treacle but yeah these two clearly did bounce off each other and i don't i'm still, I'm still trying to get over your cigar th- do you really like the cigar thing yeah really yeah <laughs> No, I, I can just imagine Vince being in the strip club you mentioned last week and going, I want that gimmick. <laughs> um, Carrie, lest we forget that Trips had won the coveted Slammy for best hair day uh, the night before. So we went into this with some, some real momentum. Absolutely. And yet again, he needed China's interference uh, for distraction to actually get the win. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H in mania in general not that great is he no not particularly we, we've thrown a lot of love china's way rightfully so over the last couple of weeks i think we ought to give marlena who you might know better as terry runnels some credit for the fact that she just got absolutely destroyed oh, by she china did, yeah. and she took it like a pro and it looked really good she was tossed around and like ragdolled all over the place and uh, it was very very effective it really was it looked it looked pretty real didn't it yeah i thought yeah i thought she was excellent uh, yeah no, nice little interlude this one Surprisingly tender finish as well. Gold does carrying uh, Marlena back. Yeah, I felt there's a bit where he cradles Marlena in the middle of the ring. I went, oh no, it's, wrestling goes a bit too far. It, like in kayfabe, in kayfabe, like wow, there's more to titles and wins and losses. And a man's wife has just been hurt. That was that for the singles matches on the card. In terms of the tag title match, it was Owen and the British Bulldog up against Vader and Mankind. Paul Bearer, the heels manager, which means Foley's the only person still alive uh, in the match. Foley unhappy at this point. He was offered a match with Mark Merrow on the card, but said he'd rather not be on WrestleMania if that was what he was offered. <laughs> <laughs> Poor old Merrow, can't catch a break. Uh, JR tries to interview Bulldog on the way to the ring. Owen wasn't keen because the, the thing was Owen had said, I'm the leader of this team, and they were they were trying to... Uh, get some dissension between them but that is a thing that they know i can't remember them ever ever using that interviewing somebody on the way to the ring it's weird my first note is why is jr stirring shit (laughs) why is why is he doing that that's just utterly bizarre it's like you know a batsman coming out before before a big match going disappointed you're not captain mate (laughs) what no i'm about to go and what are you doing utterly bizarre and then jr runs back and calls the match i didn't really get that but it was you know i quite enjoyed it because it was i didn't see it coming i went doing the two slammies bit as well at this point which is a great part of his gimmick but you look at this match and vader who was brilliant in wcw and really really bad in wwf for some reason you can almost see him being carried around the match by owen hart you've got uh, bulldog who's like ridiculously roided up at this point to, to the point that it's almost strange that nobody said just just tone it down a notch please um but owen again as we spoke about last week obviously foley played his part but this is the owen show i thought oh yeah um every time you mentioned vader i've been fist pumping because i freaking love vader he was my one of my guys he's the he's an elite super big in the way that we'll never ever see an elite super big in wrestling ever again but do you agree not in the wwf no but that's because Shawn Michaels was terrified of him. Just basically politics completely blocked him out of the main event through politics and basically went, nope, 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 Vince, he's not the guy, he's too fat. Um, so Vader famously hates Shawn Michaels. Um, Vader also famously got wrestling banned in Kuwait. Uh, but we should be talking about Owen Hart. 
Uh, and Owen Hart absolutely carries this match. Again, he's got he just understands tag team wrestling in a way that, unfortunately, the only other person I can say who understands tag team wrestling like that is another dead wrestler, Eddie Guerrero. Um, in terms of hot tags and and spacing, like spacing is really interesting when you do tag team wrestling. So, um, how you cut off the channel from your opponent to their partner is something Owen Hart was particularly good at. It was just, if I stand here, you have to get through me to get the tag, which creates such a great dynamic in tag team wrestling matches. And it's it's not like you get some in terms where it's just, I'm a singles guy in a tag match. It's, I am wrestling this like I'm a tag team wrestler, which makes everything work so much better. It makes Bulldog better, because Bulldog very often needs his hand held doing stuff. It makes Mankind, when Mankind starts doing his weird thing, interesting. It makes Vader... And his constant approaches to the top rope that much more interesting because Owen's not looking just at Vader. He's looking at the ring and seeing uh, what route could I get to get to Bulldog. Uh, Owen Hart, man. What a guy. Anton, I imagine as a, as a kid you were a big British Bulldog fan. As, as young British wrestling fans, he, he was one of the reasons we were drawn to it, not just for his, his verse on Slam Jam, but his in-ring stuff as well. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... But then you go back and watch the archetypal British WWF event SummerSlam 92 and it's heartbreaking to actually go back and watch it so I actually don't really like watching British Bulldog matches now because I just feel a bit sad and it kind of destroys my youth a little bit to be honest um, yeah but I loved him growing up obviously but I can't go back and wa- I can't go back and watch them with the same joie de vivre shall we say but yeah as you said as I said a couple of weeks ago watching Owen Hart matches with a fresh pair of eyes is is wonderful. It's great. I, I kind of actually just rather have just seen Foley and Owen go at it for this match. To be really honest, the other two didn't really do that much, and the other two just are wonderful. So it's not it's not a bad, it's not a bad match. I'm not saying you know, and Mankind and Vader look like a tag team, which is which is great. But yeah, it would have been. I'd, I'd, I'd much rather have just seen the two premier talents go at it. There's a bit right. I think maybe a third away into the match with a camera locks on Paul Bearer and Bearer does a little finger tool. <laughs> I'm like, wow, that's that. I want that all the time. Get those three eclectic weirdos in the ring together all the time. Um, in my notes, it does have a special note about just how it's quite sad that McFoley's the only person still with us. But wrestling. Double count out finish, Carrie, which is a bit unsatisfying, really. Did, did that take much away from the match for you? Not really. I mean, I'm... Not a fan of that kind of hokey finish, but no, I, 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 I love this match. Um, I really did, and you're right that um, Bulldog looks like he's going to burst at any point if he takes a bump too hard. Um, but I should say, Anton's saying about watching Summer SummerSlam '92 makes him feel like he's lost his youth. I actually do a lecture for my students where I'm talking about um, the way that nationality and country is portrayed in WWE. Sorry, I am going to get back into the point soon. And I can show these kids who were born in, like, 1998 a picture of the British Bulldog, and they know who he is. British Bulldog and his image transcends generation. You have no reason to feel bad about it. So... There you go. Thanks. I like that. <laughs> Let's go right back to the start of this show. A four-way elimination tag match. The Headbangers versus uh, Furnace and Lafon, the Godwins and the new Blackjacks, uh, with the winner getting a shot at the Tag Champs the next night on Raw, r- rather than um, actually on WrestleMania. Nice Mania botch here, as the graphic says. Headbangers as Furnace and Lafon come down to the ring. Um, 
you do feel some sympathy for the guy doing the Aston's, the, the little straps that say people's name. I mean, who were Furnace and Lafon? <laughs> just two guys who were also on this show. Um, the Blackjacks, old and new. I mean, my big takeaway from this is Bradshaw's moustache. <laughs> and that is why I cackled. It's, um, it's something that would have got him into YMCA. They are, they are incredibly homoerotic at this time, and I am loving it. Um, the chaps are something special as well, aren't they? Oh yeah, it's 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 a it's a great look. Do you think he just watched a bunch of village people videos and said this this is how we update the old blackjacks and make them the new blackjacks? There is no way that Bradshaw knows that's homoerotic, though. No, that's there's point. no way there's he no knows. Way he, just, he wouldn't have signed he up. He wouldn't for have it. agreed. Uh, the blackjacks get eliminated with Bradshaw pushing the ref. Furnace and Lafon get counted out. I mean, it's like they sort of on the morning of the show went, oh man, we said that we were going to do this match, didn't we? What? Uh, what eliminate one, count one out, uh, headbangers win. Uh, yeah, they woke up in Vince's strip club and they're like, oh, what did we say? Like, what did we do last night? What do we, what do we promise? We booked Furnace and Lafon on WrestleMania. <laughs> what, who and what are the Godwins? Um, yeah, who and what are the Godwins? Oh, so you weren't familiar with the uh, Don't Go Messing With The Country Boy Godwins. Uh, Hillbilly Jim and he was the... Oh, no, Henry and Phineas and Hillbilly Jim was the manager, right? That's and right. they carried a slot bucket to the ring. And when Triple H had been naughty once, he was in like a hog pen match. Yeah, and he got poo all over him because of it. Galvanised buckets. And yeah. that is why we needed the Attitude Era. <laughs> um, JR barely says a word. In this match, it's all Vince. It's almost as though Vince has gone. Yeah, this is my fault. I've got this boy. Sorry, I'll I'll justify this. And what's the one phrase that Vince repeats more than any other? Is it sorry? It's <laughs> it's that and what a maneuver! What a maneuver! He was a terrible commentator, wasn't he? Why he really did he keep was. doing it for so long? I, I, I don't know. Because Vince, it, it was his business. It was yeah. his business, and he wanted to show everyone else how it's done. Um, and yeah, in a way, he's still doing it in Michael Cole's ear. Okay, we've only got one more match to discuss, and it's Ahmed Johnson and the Legion of Doom beating the Nation of Domination, who were at this point Crush, Farouk, and Savio Vega. This was a Chicago street fight uh, which featured everything, including the kitchen sink. They kept saying that. Uh, nation loosely based on the Nation of Islam, uh, any means necessary, that was the kind of thing, uh, <laughs> which made Ahmed the Martin Luther King, except his mic skills not quite as good as the doctor's. Um, Ahmed also had always had problems with his trunks he wore knee and, and thigh shin protectors uh, which he offsets here with his LOD gear he was he was really rubbish um, the backstory to this Carl do you know this is kind of we're in that period between where, where you know and don't know stuff about wrestling it, what, what's your Nation of Domination history oh knowledge? man I love me some Nation of Domination uh, it's it's Farouk Ron Simmons Ron Simmons otherwise the very first uh, black NWA slash WCW champion comes over to WWE isn't really going anywhere they need to refresh create this Nation of Domination gimmick which is basically Nation of Islam you've got people dressed up as Stokely Carmichael slash also known as Kwame Ture um, I love the Nation of Domination because obviously it's a conglomerate of black people just going screw all of you we're going to beat up everyone uh, has loads of dips their toe in loads uh, hip hop culture as well so um, that's why you have white rap boy rappers in the corner with nation 
baseball caps and whatnot. JC Ice and Wolfie D, for yes. those who uh, don't know their name. They, they wrapped them to the ring. They also had uh, this lawyer based on Johnny Cochran, didn't they? Clarence Mason, who had been brought in by Jim Cornette. Uh, a couple of months earlier. He was later fired by Farouk. Uh, he actually quit because he was uncomfortable with the racial angle of the nation. Was it what? Was it racist? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's discriminatory based on race. You're putting all the black people together in a gimmick where they are mostly regarded as heels. But as you say, it had Owen Hart in it. It had Savio Vega in it. it and it, it kind of, uh, Owen Hart came later, but Savio Vega in what, one of DOA. One of, Crush. Crush was in it Crush. for a bit, Crush, wasn't he? Crush is wrestling in this match. And they all split up and then would form their own factions, DOA and yeah. Los Bariquas, and they all feuded and stuff. It's one of those things where it's, it probably is racist because Nation of Domination was always depicted as bad guys. And whenever Nation of Domination got on the mic and quite rightfully went here are the racial inequalities in the united states and you should be fearful well they shouldn't say and this is why black people were aggrieved they were booed by a large section of the crowd but it's really cool to see that visual and there are so many times where the nation nomination would come out and raise the black fist where my eyeballs would widen and go yes that is something i'm interested in um Ahmed Johnson was hung in this match. He was because uh, um, the feud. That's a bit near the knuckle, isn't it? It's not even near. It's way past the line. Um, because the feud was kind of like Ahmed Johnson. You're not a real black man because you're rejecting the nation. Which again is it plays into that very very awkward space of what black people can and can't do, and what their politics can and can't be, and whether or not if you reject this form of black viewpoint, you are an Uncle Tom or a coon. Um, and portraying the nation throughout constantly as the heel group is interesting. And you can, you know, you want to throw a stone way into the future. You see the New Day and how when the New Day first debuted, there were we're three black people and we're like laughing and smiling and we're doing church stuff, which I was more offended by that than I was by the nation. And then the New Day eventually changed. and went, if we don't clap, we'll snap. And then eventually the New Day are what they are now, which is we're just black people who are allowed to have fun, which is something that very few black people are allowed to do freely in media, which is really, really interesting. Um, so to sum up your question, uh, were the Nation of Domination racist? Probably, but I don't care because it was a whole bunch of black people doing stuff in a way I don't get to see on TV much. The new spot to me suggested they went, should we tar and feather him? No, that's too far. So let's, let's just, let's, let's, let's get the noose out, shall we? Let's, you know, as in... That's going to be okay. It, it, it felt very odd. I love this match. Uh, <laughs> I was just about to say, what a horrible garbage wrestling match this was. Oh, no, I love it. Very much to your taste. Oh, I love it. It's absolute <laughs> chaos. It's, it's Nation of Domination who are just... I really like it when a stable or group come to the ring and just start destroying everything. Just like, we're an oncoming force and we cannot be reasoned with. We're just going to do this. So the Nation of Domination doing go, we're a bunch of black people just going to go off and do this. And then you get LOD, which I love already, just going, no, we're also a weird oncoming force. I'm going to do this from a right angle. And having them clash and throw things at each other and put each other through tables for 10, 15 minutes of rank stupidity that means absolutely nothing in the long run. Yeah, plug me in, baby. This is, this is before hardcore. This is before ECW and that kind of thing. So they haven't quite perfected the uh, hardcore element they haven't perfected the the weapons and the outside of the ring so the camera works a mess oh, you can't yeah. keep up with anything like you said it ultimately doesn't matter there's a the the, the final shot with the two by four to the chest is just is just a mess the interesting thing is ahmed johnson is past the two by four by a nation of domination yeah. member <laughs> i swear what and uh in my in my notes 
uh, it was by one of the white people in Nation Domination You Passed Two by Four. So my notes just said, shake my head. It's always the allies that let down the political cause. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then more silliness after this. So it's just, there's just more, it's just carnage. And it strikes me as a kind of before the era of actually we get used to this stuff and we get better choreographed um, weapon matches, shall we say. Carrie, this is right in your wheelhouse, this kind of match. <laughs> you must have loved it. Yeah, not so much. No, this, yeah. I can I can see why Carl likes it. I like. I, I can certainly see the chaos appealing to, to Carl's crazy mind. But, uh, yeah, it makes no sense. It makes no sense. Exactly. It makes no sense. It, it, I was so sports entertained. <laughs> it also, also doesn't, stri- doesn't surprise me. So you've just had the most amazing match. So this comes on after Stone Cold, Bret Hart. And then... Bret Hart obviously comes out for the next match because he's just watched this and gone, this is everything I hate. <laughs> That's what I was telling you before. <laughs> um, all right, so overall, one iconic match, one quite nice tag match, rest of it, could take it or leave it. Yeah, common factor in the matches that I liked being the Hart family. You got a WrestleMania moment? Am I allowed to say all of Austin Hart? Go on then. Okay, or, or it could just be the image as kind of Austin is lying there in a pool of his own blood. And that comes from me, and I hate bleeding in matches, but it is just an amazing moment. Carl? Um, Nation of Domination, given the raised black fist, and then watching a largely white crowd do it at the same time. <laughs> it's like, yes! Anton? Uh, Shamrock cycling shorts. That boy's got thighs. <laughs> I'm going to go for the uh, Sultan's Jester boots. <laughs> Pretty special. Next week we're in Anaheim for WrestleMania 12, the Ultimate Warrior squashing Triple H, Roddy Piper versus Gold Dust in a Hollywood backlot brawl, and a 60-minute Iron Man match between Sean and Brett. Anton, where can people keep up with you via the medium of social media? At Sky Anton and Carl Anchorman six one six and Carrie at Carrie Sparkle. We are at the PU Podcast. I am at MJDAFC. Please share, subscribe, give us a nice rating, all that stuff. If you know someone who likes WrestleManias, tell them about us. I've been Matt Davis-Adams. You've been in Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.